Hi, it's Greg and Lucky. And this is our podcast. If you don't catch us from 5 to 9, this is what you missed. And just uh, looking at a photo here of uh, Springsteen and McCartney backstage at Glastonbury. We we're just talking about them performing together. And of course, uh, Paul McCartney is now 80. But what I find interesting and always a little odd is Springsteen, whenever I hear this, he's 72 now. And in my mind, Springsteen can't be 72 because that's only eight years difference between the two of them. And McCartney was a star in the early 60s. Springsteen came around in the late 70s and really took off in the early 80s. Right. So it would seem to me that their age should be so much farther apart. Now, I know that McCartney became a star much younger, and it took a few years for Springsteen's career to take off. Mm -hmm. But it's just one of those, sometimes with some people, like we mock and joke and have been mocking and joking about the Stones being ancient since they were in their 60s. Right. And even probably in their 50s, we were mocking them for it. And yet, you know, these two, and it's, you know, ageism is a, a, a thing. You know, it's not nearly as as horrible as it is, I guess, sexism or racism. Of course not. But ageism is has become a thing. And you see it with the OK Boomer, you know, that younger generation just mocking old people. Right. Um, but, yeah, it just it seems so weird that they are only eight years apart. And they would be even less between the Springsteen and Jagger. Yeah. You know, anyhow. Just thought that was different, strange, and and we don't we don't ever I don't ever ever, ever hear anybody mocking Springsteen for still touring. You know no. that joke doesn't exist around no, him. That's true. Anyhow, it is your pal, he's Craig and Lucky. I think I've noticed this as of recently. Glasses of wine at restaurants are getting smaller. Oh, shrinkflation. Well, yeah. What they're doing is they used to, I guess, be able to get uh, like uh, uh, five or six ounces, uh, or get, you get five glasses per bottle if you were pouring like five ounces but now they're skimming it back to four ounces to get six bottles oh six glasses yeah still paying more yeah well i mean and this has been kind of a, a a real thing that they're talking about now with the weight that inflation has gone that shrinkflation mm. is is the new thing where you're paying the same amount but mm. getting less back whether it's, you know your burger or sandwich is smaller there's less chips yep. in in the the pack of fries or, ba- or or bag of chips or whatever maybe this is it too it's always like if you enjoy a glass of wine over dinner and it's you and your whoever you're dining with and you look at the the wine list and you go well should we order a bottle or just a glass each and then, you know, you look and you go, oh, the glass is like 11 or $12 or something. Well, we do the math. It's like 24 bucks for two glasses. Yeah. I mean, I know 40 is 45 is going to get us a bottle. Seems like a lot more. But you inevitably end up having another glass each. Uh-huh. So now you've paid for two glasses what you would have gotten for a bottle. It, it is like when you go out for a nice dinner and you, you look at the wine list, it, it's such a crazy, you know, concept. Mm-hmm. The, you know, a glass of wine is more than what you pay for a bottle at home. Yeah, that's right. right? And, I mean, we do have the abilities, to, you know, in most restaurants to take a bottle in with you and have it corked. Yeah. Right? I know. I've never done that. <laughs> and most don't do it. I, the bottles I drink don't need corking. <laughs> I still think the greatest stat is that, the you know, the most popular bottle of wine at any restaurant is the second lowest price sure. one. Yeah. Because no one wants to go at the lowest price. No, that's right. <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. You got a wine list that's the size of War and Peace, and then you turn to them and you say, what's your house? Right. What are you serving? How are we? How was your weekend? It was uh, spectacular, nice and warm. 
Hope you had a good one. I was up in uh, cottage country for the first time in a long time, I guess. Certainly before COVID, I haven't been up. We went actually last October up around uh, uh, Gravenhurst up in Muskoka and uh, stayed at a uh, at a hotel. But we haven't been like into a cottage in a long time. Mm. And it was lovely. We were uh, just north of Lake Rosso with all the uh, wealth. Oh, good for you. Oh, yeah. very, I know, but very we, chic. A no, seven-bedroom little, uh, little spot? New. No, we were uh, in the poor part of town. <laughs> we were on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> it's funny. We, as we, were, uh, we left yesterday and we were coming back down through uh, Rosso and uh, we stopped at a couple of little your antique places and Rio wanted to poke around. So we did that, and I was gabbing with uh, the guy who owned this one place, and he's owned it for like 30 years, and um, he was uh, regaling me with stories of Steve Martin and Martin Short and uh, Tom Hanks and all of them, because Martin Short's got a place right near there. Okay. And then when I told him where we were, he said, <laughs> that's... <laughs> you can't afford anything in the story. Yeah, so so. He said, uh, Lake Rosso is up here, and you're kind of down there. <laughs> I said, it's not my property. I don't know anything about anything. But, uh, yeah, we drove uh, right by Muskoka Woods, which, of course, uh, my kids, as so many do in their high school years, spend some time at Muskoka Woods. Okay. That's a huge piece of property up there. They seem to be doing well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I heard that uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell no longer own their property up there. Oh, really? Yeah. So, but they used to be seen roaming around. There's, I guess, hockey player uh, row up there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it was it was fine. I I don't know. I've often thought about this with cottages. Even if I had the money, and I certainly do not. Even if I had the money, I don't know that I would buy a cottage. It seems to me, because I, you know, our friends. Uh, it's a family-owned cottage. Their parents owned it, and they you know, got handed down to uh, three sisters, and they all take turns with it. Right. But it's just constant work. Right. You know, they're const- and, and you're constantly doing work at home. When you, when you, when you go away, you want to go away and not have to do stuff. Mm. I also think if I had a lot of money and I could dump it into a cottage, I'd, I'd rather travel and see things. Right. Then just go sit on the same beach and stare at the same lake constantly. Well, I, I don't know if if that's normally the trade-off. I think, um, you know, it's interesting we were having a discussion, you know, last time my dad was talking about it, because we have a family cottage. And, uh, and he said the decision he made was basically when, you know, a lot of people were upgrading their, their to bigger homes mm. at home, uh, others were deciding to get a second right. place, uh, and, and the cottage being that. Um you know, and it's true. I mean, you have a pool at home and, and, you know, a little backyard oasis that you continue to improve and mm-hmm. work on. And, you know, if you didn't have that, it might be different, right? I don't know. I, I've, I've said even when I didn't have a pool that I wouldn't right. want to own a cottage. But I don't think the trade-off, you know, is between cottaging and vacationing. I think it's the trade-off is between cottaging and Improving the the backyard oasis here for well, some. When I was a kid, I remember my best friend. Now the roads have improved and everything's better. But my uh, best friend growing up had a, a place uh, near Perry Sound, and they would go up every weekend. And it just seemed to me, even then as a kid, what an what an unbelievable hassle 
for right. like one day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like his mom and dad, they'd get home from work. Everybody would pile into the car. It'd be chaos. It'd be, you know, trying to grab some kind of fast food on the way. You'd be in four and five hours of traffic. You wouldn't get up there till like nine o'clock at night. It would be dark. They'd get in the cottage. They had to do whatever they had to do to open the cottage for the weekend. Then Saturday kind of morning, they enjoyed and had till about... One or so in the afternoon, or actually they would get up because it was cooler. They'd get up and they'd do all their work Saturday morning around the cottage, you know, cutting grass or fixing things or whatever. Then they'd spend about, I don't know, four hours in the afternoon Saturday actually enjoying it to get up Sunday morning to fight the traffic all the way back down to the city. I, I even thought at like 10 years of age, this ain't for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and on the flip side, I, you know, when I head to the cottage, I see people towing campers mm-hmm. and bikes and, mm-hmm. and thinking uh, they're doing the exact same thing to set up, yeah. spend the weekend and hike back. And to me, that has zero appeal. There's a thing called a hotel. It's amazing. <laughs> you check in, you enjoy, you go home. Paul McCartney is all the talk. He uh, headlined the Glastonbury Festival in the UK. And at 80 years of age, he played for three hours and did 38 songs. Wow. Good for him. Uh, Dave Grohl joined him, Springsteen as well, and John Lennon. You see, here is another great example, Lucky, of you and I and how our life works. Had we gone and seen Paul McCartney somewhere live, you know who would have joined him? Pete Best. (laughs) 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 That's our luck. Right. Uh, McCartney gets uh, Grohl, Springsteen, and Lennon. Lennon. Yeah, so what they did was Grohl came out and joined Paul on I Saw Her Standing There and Band on the Run. And then Bruce at the stage, and they sang Glory Days, uh, followed by I Want to Be Your Man, Spring uh, Beatles classic. And then uh, they say one of the highlights was a virtual duet with Lennon and McCartney singing I've Got a Feeling. He's also doing that on his regular tour. Oh, okay. Now, so there was some, uh, some booing, though, at one point when a virtual appearance of Johnny Depp showed up on the screen, I guess, in uh, 2012... Natalie Portman and Johnny Depp were in a uh, video for a McCartney song called My Valentine. And so I guess he had that playing behind him while he was doing the song. And people were booing Johnny Depp. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. Shows, I guess, that Grohl is starting to come back to form. He's got those two uh, Taylor Hawkins tribute shows that are coming up. And for him to show up and perform with uh, McCartney is a sign that he's starting to... At least take the stage again. Yeah. Yeah, and good for him. Ben Affleck and Jen, uh, Jennifer Lopez were out at a luxury car rental dealership in L.A. You know, these are the things you do when uh-huh. you're Ben and Jennifer. And um, they had with them Ben's 10-year-old son, Samuel. And I guess there was a yellow Lamborghini with the engine running. And maybe Ben was going to go take it for a spin. But Sam decided to hop in the driver's seat. And uh, he reversed the car and smacked it into a parked BMW. <laughs> Jen can pay. That's right. She bought both. Right. Um, an employee said there was no accident. The cars were just parked too close together. Right. But what are you letting a 10-year-old hop into a running Lamborghini? Yeah, well, why do you have a running Lamborghini then? I guess it was warming up. A lot of up. questions there, but who knows? You have to warm up a Lamborghini? Probably let, not in California. Let it warm up. Uh, Henry Winkler has become quite the TikTok star. He, of course, in Barry, and that's really uh, revitalized his career. I don't think he's been this popular since he was Fonzie on Happy Days. I didn't know he was in that. Yeah, he's brilliant in it. He's really good. Yeah. Um, But he has one rule when it comes to uh, TikTok. Him and his granddaughter do a bunch of dancing videos on TikTok. 
And uh, he says, just no songs with F-words in it. Okay. Which is good when you're a grandfather. Right. You don't want to be dancing to F-bombs with your granddaughter. Did I hear him telling a story recently that he had something to do with Rocky as yeah. well? Him and uh, Sylvester Stallone were in a movie together called The Lords of the Flatbush back in the 70s. Probably even before Happy Days when nobody would have known either of them. And then, uh, so that's right. So he met Stallone on the set of that movie. Then when he went on to do Happy Days, he kind of Im- imagined Fonzie, Arthur Fonzarelli, as a sly Stallone kind of character. Okay. And uh, so they became fast friends. And, you know, we're bumping into each other at auditions and other things. And Sylvester Stallone says to Henry Winkler one day, because uh, Henry was by then on Happy Days, he says, listen, can you do me a favor? I've got this script I've written. I want to see if ABC is willing to make it into a TV movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, so he said, of course, I'll take it to him. Now, he's a big star at this point on ABC, so he's got some pull. And he says, hey, listen, my friend wrote this script, and I read it, and it looks great. And we think it could be a terrific made-for-TV movie. And they said, uh, and he said, the only thing is, you know, my buddy wants to play the main yeah. character. He wrote it. And they said, well, there's not a chance we're doing that. And actually, it needs a lot of rewrites. There's problems with it. So uh, he had to go fight then with ABC because once you present something, I guess, to a network, they take ownership of it or something. So he says, please, you have to give it back to me. My friend does not want to have anybody else make this movie or play the part. And he had to fight and fight and fight with them about it. And then finally they gave up and they said, okay, all right, Fonzie, here's your script back. Right. That script ended up being Rocky. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. And he said, I didn't see dime one of that. (laughs) I did all the fighting. He was trying to play Mick. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, This is an interesting story story about George Michael. Back when he was alive, he was watching Deal or No Deal. And I guess there was some dude who was on the show who was trying to raise money for in vitro fertilization for him and his uh, partner. Right. She couldn't get pregnant. And I guess they had blown through every dime they had trying to do this. Very expensive process. It certainly is. Um. So anyhow, they kept trying and trying, and they'd run out of money. He won a little bit of dough, like enough for one more attempt, and then uh, they would have been broke again. And so George Michael heard about this, and he reached out and uh, an, made an anonymous donation, a nice big chunk of change that saved them. It was enough money for them to go and do research into why she couldn't get pregnant. Uh, they they did tests, they figured it out, and she eventually got pregnant naturally. Wow. In 2017. Unfortunately, George had died on Christmas Day of 2016. They didn't even know he was the donor until recently when a producer on Dealer Deal tweeted about George's uh, do- uh, donation. And uh, the woman contacted the show and found out that, yes, she was the recipient of his really? generous donation. Yeah. I wonder if the baby's named George. Should be. No, oh. actually, but a son named Seth, and he'll be five this September. Couldn't even give him a little plug. Maybe well, I guess they didn't know at the time. That's right. Uh, her and her partner left flowers at George's house on New Year's Day when they found out. So ah. That's nice. Listen, couples, you ever thought to yourself, what are we going to do with this spare bedroom now the kids are out? Well, Netflix wants to help you. They want to turn it into a sex room. <laughs> I see a sex swing and a hump hassock. Right. Yeah, on July 8th, a show called How to Build a Sex Room with the interior designer Melanie Rose. She is described as the Mary Poppins of sex rooms. In each episode, Rose visits a couple, finds out what kind of freaky business they want to get up to, and then builds them a room they can get nasty in. Right. Just leave it as a spare bedroom if it's going to be another room you don't use. <laughs> 
so the big story uh, coming out of the U.S. over the weekend was uh, Roe v. Wade and uh, the Supreme Court getting rid of that. And now you have uh, a bunch of states. It's all been handed down. It's it's not a federal uh, law. It's a state-driven law. Each state gets to determine what they want to do and how they want to handle abortion. And I think there's about 26 of them right now who have not only banned it, some are outlawing it, literally becoming a criminal charge if you were to get an abortion in some states. So there is, a, of course... Big movement on lots of protests, lots of celebrities stepping up and offering up um, huge, a lot of money uh, to all sorts of organizations, Planned Parenthood and others. Even companies offering to um, uh, take care of employees by taking them to states where they can have abortions. I thought in the news a couple of high-profile ones, Disney and and Meta, Facebook's parent company, being... Couple of high-profile ones, and and look, we we do get caught up in American politics. Uh, I'm certainly guilty. So many of us are certainly during uh, the, uh, the the circus that was Trump uh, during his time. Spent probably way too much time focusing on that clown, but um, we just do. We get caught up, and it's so you know they're our neighbor to the south, and so we concern ourselves that when things go down there, inevitably they're going to go down here. I know there seems to be some real concern among uh, many that this is something that could happen here now. I will say this, uh, just in reading a little bit over the weekend, you know, abortion here in Canada is really ingrained. Actually, as a matter of fact, uh, it's legal at all stages of pregnancy in Canada, regardless of the reason. It, all, it also is a, a part of our Canadian Health Act. It is, uh, and also it is governed by provincial health care systems. So... Yes, can something come along to change that? Of course. But at this stage of the game in Canada, abortions are as ingrained into our uh, health act as your cancer treatments are. Meaning, nobody's coming one day to say, "Mm, sorry, no more cancer treatments for you. We're getting rid of it. Abortion is treated and looked at in the same way. Now, is it a hot button topic that people are constantly debating? Yes, it is. But I wouldn't at this stage lose too much sleep. The, the idea that in Canada, the same thing is going to happen. Well, I mean, listen, to, you know, it was in the States for 50 years uh, as part of the Supreme Court decision in Roe v. Wade. And and it took 50 years and eventually changed. And so maybe there is a little bit of fear. It's not like it was ingrained permanently in Canada. Remember the name Henry Morgenthaler was a, a physician who fought uh, to for abortion rights uh, and the rights for, for choice uh, for women in Canada for many years mm-hmm. and reformed them as well uh, for many years, sometimes in secrecy, sometimes, uh, you know, through the threat of violence outside of his clinics and actual violence outside of his clinics. Yeah, but the laws are set did, up so. in, the two, in two different ways. There, here it's federal, right across the country. There, it's always been kind of, because it wasn't in their constitution and they rely on that constitution. Right. You know, they didn't know what the word abortion meant when the constitution was written. And it did, well, and, and as, as in so many of their amendments, which they stand by, but mm. yet, you know, amendments are changes, mm-hmm. <laughs> which allows that to happen. But regardless of it, the, the problem is, and what I think the fear is for many in Canada, is that you see what happens south of the border is not necessarily directly coming here, but it's a blueprint to power mm. for some. And and some see how uh, you know the the Republicans and that religious right had gained some power uh, and and eventually taking over power in the, in the House and the White House with Trump and and that you know that kind of rhetoric could start to ingrain itself here and even you know, over the weekend you know there were calls for some sort of response from Pierre Polyev mm-hmm. who said who remained silent 
on the issue, right? Whereas others came out right away and, you know, to the defense of women, uh, you know, not surprisingly uh, that, you know, Justin Trudeau would automatically uh, respond. I mean, he's, you know, labeled himself as a feminist before. And so, uh, you know, that doesn't come as a huge surprise. But uh, those who are running for that PC leadership, Patrick Brown and Josh Ray, both came out uh, in support of Roe v. Wade or the women's right to choose. Uh, and and Pierre Polyev remained silent on that. And, and, and here's a guy who has stoked some of those right-leaning fires when it came to the Freedom Convoy. So I believe, though, this whole right-wing thing, yes, it's a phase we're going through, but I believe, much like the Tea Party in the U.S., I think it's going to uh, putter itself out eventually, but, sputter out and die. But but the groundwork of what they started still exists mm. there and still has its seat in power as well. And, and with, you know, in the U.S., midterm elections in November coming uh, for a, a, a lot, there is still a huge divide in that country between right and left. And the fear is that some of that rhetoric and some of the information and disinformation that happens on both sides, um, there's disinformation on the left as much as there is, is on the right. Everyone just posts what they can to get their point across mm-hmm. now. That, you know, it, it's really the disinformation that you have to fight against. But no matter where it's coming from, whether it's China, whether it's Russia, or if it's from south of the border for us, too, we have to be wary. It's uh, it's amazing that uh, you stand here in 2021 and this ongoing battle for women and their rights. It's, it just makes you shake your head. I mean, honestly, if men could get pregnant from a rape, there would be an abortion clinic in every gas station. Like, it just would, men would not have it. The men in America were screaming at the top of their lungs, barely being heard, because they had to wear a mask. Ask. They were that was imposed on them, and that was too much. But it's okay to tell women their body is no longer their choice. Like it, it really is shocking and amazing, and and it is what it is. And, and hopefully, it doesn't happen here. <laughs> One of the interesting arguments that I heard is that you know if you're going to claim, and part of, part of this process is claiming that you know the, a, a, a person or a human life is viable from the second of conception. Mm. Uh, that one of the arguments I heard put up facetiously was, well, let's start child support. From the moment mm. of conception, then, and date it back nine months. You know, it's tough right. enough to get some parents and fathers to pay and continue on with child support. Well, you know, if yeah. that's the case, if it's a child from the second it's conceived, then child support payments should start then. Makes sense to me. Another little interesting thing I heard over the weekend, and I, again, how easy it is to do or not do, but I guess in the States, although every state, you know, seems to make their own decisions. There is also a federal law that each state, certain parts of the state, like Yellowstone Park, for example, there are certain uh, national parks or different places that are federally controlled, meaning the state has no say over it. The feds operate it and control it. So you could, if the feds and Biden truly believes in abortions and women's rights, as the president, he could put an abortion clinic in each one of those federally controlled places. Yogi Bear will be running that. (laughs) He'll be giving the abortions. Ted Reader. He's the godfather of the grill. He's doing it up at the joint, El Dorado Golf Course, and he's on the line with us this morning. Good morning, Ted. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Lucky. Good morning, Teddy. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Yes, you had a great birthday party on Saturday night, and I saw that the menu, uh, and you posted the menu, and you had over top of that sold out, so that is excellent. Great to hear that. And everybody must have had a terrific time, and the food must have been unbelievably tasty. It was, a, it was a great day. We had a lot of fun. The weather was perfect. Uh, lots of people came out. It was good to see you out there, Lucky. 
And, uh, yeah, we had a good, tasty time then. Cheers. I, I got a, a little more than I expected when I stopped by to see Ted and wish him a happy birthday. I got to see his sack of nuts. Um, <laughs> and that's rare. Right, yeah. It's a rare and he, he pulled the smoker right open and showed me the, the sack of nuts, Ted. We talked about this last week, but... Uh, to see it, and you've got pictures posted of it, the description is something else. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, the sack of nuts. It was uh, sacks of chicken skin, and uh, we filled them with a mixture of ground pork, uh, smoked pulled pork, and uh, a chunk of smoked sausage. Mm. And tied them up into little bundles and uh, hung them from racks and put them in the smoker and let them smoke away until the skin was crispy and the pork inside was fully cooked. And uh, there were some cashews in there, and then they were drizzled with honey and dipped in crushed cashews. Beautiful. And this is something you just dreamed up. Yep. (laughs) That's so great. Now, it would seem to me difficult, though, because as I look at the picture, you know, uh, with chicken skin... Like, so you're getting, like, the entire intact skin of a chicken, and you're going to open it up from the butt end and start just filling it like you would stuffing a, a turkey or whatever, which is difficult enough as it is. But when you stuff a turkey, at least you get the rib cage and everything in there, so you got a nice big hole to fill. This, I would think, would be so difficult, stuffing that skin, because wouldn't it all keep, like, closing in? Well, you, you, you take the skin, and, and we order it in, you know, you comes in like 10-pound boxes mm. and you take the skin and, and you open the bags of, of chicken skin and you lay it all out and spread it out mm-hmm. and you you end up with a piece of skin that's that's about a half a bird's worth of skin and you lay it out on parchment paper and we put it in the fridge to air dry for a day mm. and then it becomes a little easier to handle and then you trim it into into a nice little square that you can pull into a sack. And so it'd be probably a six by inch, six inch piece of skin. Oh, okay. And so you trim it up and then you pull it up into a sack and you tie it with a piece of butcher twine. I see. And then we kept that twine long so that we could tie it to a rack so that the sacks could hang in the smoker. So, uh, again, with with the ingredient, the pork, uh, the pulled pork, the sausage, the onions, the cashews. So if somebody wanted to do this at home, they'd follow that. They'd, they'd cut the skin into a square and then pile in all their, their ingredients. But could if they didn't have a smoker, they, they, I guess they could just do this indirect on their barbecue, right? Yeah, you'd, you'd want to hang them. Uh, that way oh, okay. you get that, that uh, you get the crispy skin all the way around. Okay. And it's not laying down on, its, on itself. So you could you could roast them as well in the oven if you wanted to. Mm. They just don't come out as nice looking. Was it a sign of age that those uh, were drooping longer than uh, expected when you first put them up, Ted? Yes, they were 59 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now the pork, is everything cooked inside before you put it on the smoker, Ted? Is it just basically to get the skin crispy? No, the, the, there's raw pork in there. The ground okay. pork is raw. And then the pulled pork is cooked and shredded, and you mix that together and season it up. And then, uh, and then we take a big chunk of sausage, like a, you know, a, a one-inch uh, round, mm-hmm. and you slide that into the, put that in the middle of the ground meat mixture, Sounds and then nice. drop that ball onto the skin, and then wrap it up nice and tight, and tie it. 
And does does the, the fats from all the the pork and sausage and such does it? I guess it drips down through the skin. Or you should have a tray or something. Or no, no, because no, the the pulled pork is cooked, and then we put a little bit of uh, I put a little bit of cornstarch in with the the ground mixture. Okay, and that uh, grabs any extra moisture that's in there and keeps it all in, wow. so you don't end up with this ball of uh, fat on the inside. I would love to try it. I just have a feeling I'd have a big chicken skin fire in my grill. <laughs> you probably would. Right? Leave, it to the professional end. Leave it to the professional. Yeah. Right. Uh, we'll order a pizza once again. <laughs> yeah. All right, Teddy. <laughs> yeah, you could you could put anchovies on the outside and have a hairy sack of nuts oh, at some point. Beautiful. Yeah, it'd be like a porn chicken. Right. From the 1970s. Um, all right, Teddy, if people want to talk about your nuts or any other grilling, how do they get a hold of you, pal? You're going to find me at Ted Grills or at Ted Reader's Barbecue, the joint. Rock Mornings with Craig Venn and Lucky. 94.9 The Rock.